Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. We're going to be talking about Frank Lampard on today's second Captain's Football Podcast. <laughs> hey, Ken. Owen, how are you? Hey, Murph. Hey, Owen. How's it going? How are you feeling, Kenny? How are you feeling after your break? Are you refreshed? Revitalized? I feel like I've been... I feel like I've been sort of dragged out of retirement <laughs> to... Uh, Is this the difference between a three-week holiday and a two-week holiday? I honestly it, felt it, like it, I'd retired. Yeah. It felt great. <laughs> and I've been now I've been torn um, it's like a return to the womb you know yeah, you, you've, been, you've been called back for one more job oh, God. which lasts another 20, 20 well, it's years it's great to see you as well Ken uh, I say <laughs> on behalf of myself Murph all of our listeners it's really yeah, it's yeah, really great to have you no back. it's good it's, it's, it's alright you know there's the, the dignity of work um <laughs> what what is it we used to do here again? Can but, well, you talk you, maybe Ken, you can, you can sort of help me in. through it. Yeah. We okay, used so. to talk a lot about the Everton manager Frank Lampard. He was a he was a legendary footballer in his own right for Chelsea, an extremely confident individual. You remember he's a guy we once saw in a London hotel, just looking very confident, mm, yeah, looking very at ease with himself. Well, ah, yeah, this is as is so at ease with himself. He's not at ease with his football uh, with his football players in in recent times, but That's... he did have that great escape last year. Yeah, no, that's what we used to do. We're we're a Frank Lampard um, discussion group. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. yeah no, I'm 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 beginning to things are beginning to take shape for me, Owen. Uh, yeah, no, I saw that that Everton uh, Football Club were were on a tour of the United States, and they played some. Honestly, I can't remember some sort of team of backwoodsmen, and <laughs> lost four nil, which was something of a four nil. Oh, they yeah. lost four 0 Like it was like honestly, I, was the it, Georgia good old boys, something like that. I mean, I yeah, think yeah. I think it was. If to be honest, I think it was actually Minnesota. Is it Timberwolves? Right? Yeah. T- Timberwolves are, are a different sport, though. Oh, what am I talking about? Yeah. What are the Minnesota? I'll get the names. Yeah. Okay. The Houston Oil interests. Yeah, they. But you know, they they took a bit of a they took a bit of a beating. Now, of course, the only thing about this beating is that it's a preseason game, and therefore. Doesn't really matter. Disappointingly, they're called Minnesota United. But go on. No, Minnesota, Minnesota United. That's the one. And uh, so they. I mean, are they? Uh, are they a top tier MLS team? Yeah. Uh, they're 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 in the top they're in the top rank of mm-hmm. of American fo- soccer. Are they? Uh, 
They are yeah. an MLS side, yeah. Um, well, you know, you could say, well, look, it's at the end of the day, we're here to train. But 4-0 obviously wasn't good. And just, okay, let's let's ease ourselves back in with just a, you know, just, just let's start start things off in a comfortable, in our comfort zone by listening to Frank Lampard appraising the performance uh, and looking towards the future for himself and his Everton players and Everton board. I know you expect standards to be high all the time, but what, what do you want to see from your players from here? Do you, do you feel like you need to be more clinical in both boxes, perhaps? Yeah, no, not just both boxes, all, all, all their game, all the game, defensively, offensively. They, uh, the players have to work and understand that we were in a relegation battle for a big portion of last season. We came into the club in that, in that, and we had an amazing night and an amazing run, which is great historically for the club. But as soon as that finished for me, I put it to bed very quickly. So the players better put it to bed as well, because we were in that fight for a reason. And if we don't want to be in that situation again, they have to be better. I have to be better. And as a club, we also understand it reinforces probably the situation that we know what we need to do with the squad because it has to be stronger than what we saw tonight. So there are things that, we're, that are ongoing. We're all very collectively joined up on it and it just reinforces a lot of thoughts that I think that we've all got. The owners mentioned the importance of strengthening the squad during this window. How important is that and how important is it to stick together while that process takes place? Well, I think it's important always for cl- clubs like ourselves to think in that way because you want to get better and personnel is, is key. There's no doubt about it. And I think when you um, when you think of where we were last year, we lost a big player in, in, in Richardson. Richie was a, a big player. We move on, he, you know, he wishes well, but our club now continues. So we now you know, know that there's maybe avoiding forward areas, we're short in numbers there, so we, we know that. I don't think I'm telling, giving any secrets away to say that. Um, but also through the team, there are things that I want to strengthen. And I can say that out loud and be honest, because if a club like Everton has to be competitive, has to have a competitive squad. Players have to be up for that, fa- that fact that they have to fight to play in the team. So, uh, I mean, there was a lot to enjoy there. Um, what, what I think was the part that I liked the best was the way that, that Frank Lampard is just trying to bury that good feeling uh, that arose from the Everton's miracle escape. Remember the, the way that, that against, all, um, against all expectation and certainly against the, the way that things looked just a couple of weeks from the end of the season, Everton's season actually finished much on a much higher note than Liverpool's. It you was know? the moment of the season with, with, you know, no disrespect to your Liverpool's, your Man City's. It was the moment of the season when Frank <laughs> Lampard danced on the stand in the Goodison roof. Park on the roof. Yeah, I've decided, I've decided to remember it as the roof yeah, of Goodison yeah. Park. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it was, I mean, it was amazing. And you had Richarlison, uh, Rishi, as, uh, as Frank Lampard calls him, um, and pines for him indeed, uh, trolling Liverpool. Now, of course, Rishi is going to Everton now. And if you look at whoever who has not got to Everton, he's That's left Tottenham. Everton for Tottenham. And Everton have only brought in James Tarkovsky so far. And, and Frank Lampard is already getting a little bit antsy about that. We can see, um, you know, certain things need to happen. Uh, between now and the start of the season, which is only you know, less than two weeks away, uh, or you know we're going to be—it's going to be another uphill struggle for everyone at Everton Football Club. Um, but just as long as everyone, everyone is, has put that um, great night to bed, rather than you know using it as a sort of emotional jumping-off point or whatever, let's just bury it deep down. Uh, at least in, he in threw the in the, uh, 
Yeah, at least he threw that. He said they have to be better. I have to be better. At least he threw that in, so he's not to- totally disassociating. Well, look, every, everybody has to. Everybody has to be better, but it's it's a consistent um, it's a consistent level of performance from uh, from Frank Lampard. I mean, you know, you don't want to overreact, obviously, to a preseason game, but you know, it is another. It's an approach that that, that he's decided to take here. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I don't know how Richard is enjoying it at Tottenham. I mean, Tottenham's preseason has been sort of interesting as well, just just because the, the main um, the the main feature of it that I've been picking up from my occasional uh, occasional attention is uh, that Antonio Conte is just putting on these suffer sessions, um, where he makes the players run up and down the pitch in front of like a, in a full stadium uh, until they puke. Uh, and then, or or then, you know, when they finish, they just lie. You can, they're lying on their back, and you just see their chests like heaving. So people love this. I mean, this is, you know, you just see the camera just it just shows content inside the vision. He's just smiling. He's just got this big happy smile, like the happiest you've ever seen him as he watches his players vomit, right, throw their guts up because like they're that he's forcing them to run so hard. <laughs> and you see all these people are like debating it, you know, from a sports science point of view. Is this really does this make any sense what he's doing? You know, everyone was like, where is Raymond? Ver- high and you know we don't seem to hear as much from him these days um but like what would he have to say about that you know all these sort of period uh, period as periodization gurus you know uh, overtraining is the worst thing you can do uh you know that's not what it's not football isn't about running up and down the pitch uh you know 25 times until you get sick i mean when, when do you is that an in-game situation you see very often you know, so why there's no there's no point in doing this. This is sort of uh, Stone Age uh, training, but I think these people are kind of missing the point a little bit. Like this, this is clearly nothing to do with any. Well, you know, th- it's something to do with the, you know with a, with a theoretical physical benefit. But surely, uh, whole- it, uh, I think the physical benefit you're trying to say is basically a byproduct of the mental disintegration and then rehabilitation that Ant- Antonio Conte is trying to. Uh, uh, provide his players here. Well, it is it is psychological, right? I mean, that's that's what this is, really. You know, it's it's like a, it's about suffering intense pain, like it, it, you know, in, enduring intense agony, the like of which, no matter how tired you get, like in a in an actual you know proper game, it's never going to be anything like this. I mean, you're you're not going to you don't see players like fall to your knees and puke in in a, in the course of a football match normally right mm-hmm. I mean we've seen it once or twice but it's not it's usually not to do with the amount of running they've been doing so you know that's what that's Conte's approach I mean you could say maybe it is uh, it is uh, primitive um, but you know maybe there's something uh, maybe maybe let's not discard all the, all the old wisdom yeah I mean teaching uh, teaching players how to endure pain is maybe uh, is maybe actually worth it I mean if, if you know as long as they don't all suffer muscle injuries which prevent them from playing in the games uh there's probably something to that well you know antonio conte thinks it anyway and you know who, who are we really to question a man who's got his sort of uh, results um so that has been that has been enjoyable and look even if uh, even if it isn't of any benefits to players it's certainly it's something that delights the fans uh, to see that just to see their heroes uh, reduced to these quivering um quivering uh, puke spattered wrecks Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's a beautiful summer's day. The breeze is stupendous. 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 Would this podcast be even more stupendous without ads? Without ads? Ads. If so, then join us for daily commercial-free shows at secondcaptains.com for just five euro a month. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not bumping them up. I'm not Irish. I'm just saying my observations, they are amazing. Stupendous. Last Thursday's football show, we played our chat with Lars Sivertson from our London show about Erling Haaland you might remember that one mm. of course you remember that one we were sitting there I remember sitting it there I, to, I was sitting right there you were sitting right there listening to Lars explain that while it might come across that Erling Haaland can be a little bit dickish towards post-match interviewers it's a lot of it can be put down to cultural differences and the exact part of Norway where Haaland and indeed Lars himself grew up where not many of them... They, basically, they don't speak very much in that part of Norway. Well, except Lars. I mean, he's... Uh, well, yeah, Lars did say he's basically an outcast because he uses a lot of words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he said he's not typical. And I think even even Erling Haaland is a big talker compared to a lot of people who come from that neck of the woods. But anyway, that's uh, a way into me asking you, Ken, about Haaland's debut. It seems he didn't waste any time, whatever about wasting words, didn't waste any time making an impact for Man City scoring a goal. Well, he scored. I mean, have you, have you seen the goal? Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? Yep. Okay, so you know you know what it was like. I mean, have you seen it, Kieran? No. Describe it for me. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. So I'll tell um, you. I'll, t- I'll give you a detail. Jack Grealish got the assist. So describe the goal. Oh. Ooh. I want to say that Jack Grealish played uh, a through ball. No. Uh, er- oh, okay. So I want to say that Jack Grealish crossed the ball. Yes. And Erling Haaland volleyed the ball extremely hard in no particular direction, but it. Went down to kind of the middle of the goal. The yes. keeper was like, "Yeah, okay." The keeper was That's taken out. The keeper was taken out by the the hard yeah. low Grealish uh, cross and Haaland pouncing uh, in a in a sort of sliding motion and ha- hammering the ball into the back of the net. Uh, he, he kind of slid it in with, with extreme prejudice, and it was a goal that I can we can all imagine seeing a lot, a lot. Uh, over the over the coming uh, weeks, I was and go- I was going for like the typical Haaland goal, but I what I should have been thinking about was what will be the typical Haaland Man City, City goal. goal, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and it turns out that that Haaland himself, Holland, I should say. I mean, I should I need to start saying Holland, right? Because that's his name. You know, I've got to stop mispronouncing it like Haaland. Well, you know, I've got to stop saying, I've got to start saying Holland. okay? So Holland himself has visualized this many times. As he explained afterwards to post-match, uh, uh, well, uh, to journalists in the, in the post-match mix zone, which apparently I read in, I think it was the Mirror saying that uh, he didn't want to do it. Uh, the city press officer was like, you know, um, uh, Erling, you know, if you wouldn't mind. And he's, and he's like... How long is this going to take? And you're like, it's your first game. Like, <laughs> it's your first game. The the, the press officer says, oh, five minutes. And Holland's like, pff, k- k- k-. 
and and the press office says, "Well, we can make it ten minutes if you like." And uh, that, so that breaks the ice. Oh uh, yeah, breaks yeah. The, oh, no. but uh, they did. I don't know how long it was because we're only going to play uh, thirty seconds of this. But here's uh, here's Erling Haaland giving his impressions of his goal and also some of his teammates. One of his teammates in particular. As you probably all know, I've uh, been watching a lot of City games uh, for the last years, and um, last years with uh, has been without strikers. So. Uh, of course, I've been seeing uh, myself in these kind of situations today, so I'm not surprised. Jack Grealish, you seem to have a good understanding with him off the pitch and also on it. What, what would you make of him as a footballer? He's good. Uh, he has to get better. Uh, I have to get better, but uh, good link. I like the vibe around him, so uh, it's going to be fun. So, yeah, he's been he's been sort of watching. It's interesting, isn't it, to, the, the idea of watching a game as a, um, as a professional with the idea of what would I do if I was on the field right now? And uh, I wonder how many goals um, City would have scored. <laughs> or, or, you know, what uh, what Holland's going to be doing. I mean, City are, are, are a, a team that do like to present um, players arriving at the back post with a lot of open goals. And the, and I think that Erling Haaland is, is going to be able to uh, do that. But I, what I find particularly interesting is his uh, the apparent immediate connection with Jack Grealish. Oh yeah, well he likes the vibe. That's what he said. He likes the vibe. He likes around the Grealish. vibe. It's not just it's not just Grealish's football. It's like the whole Jack Sparrow Grealish package <laughs> that uh, that Erling Haaland uh, immediately feels like he's he's uh, clicked with. And I th- I find that really interesting. I mean, these are two brilliant players. I mean, and 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 I think City this season with with Haaland, you know, they've they've. We'll we'll go through the players they've they've lost in a minute. It's it's been a really interesting summer for them. But with Haaland there, with Grealish, Holland there, with uh, with Grealish. I mean, who doesn't want to watch these guys? It's a little bit like kind of that sort of P- beginning to get into that sort of PSG zone where you don't really care about most of the matches PSG play in, but you do want to see what like Neymar and Mbappe and obviously now the mm. other guy. You know, it's it's sort of just interesting in itself to see what they do. But of course, Grealish is a player who whose first season was not, not good. You know, I mean, it was very disappointing from his point of view. I mean, I, I know, oh, he's won the trophy, he won the Premier League, you know, he's won the Prem, that'll shut up all the doubters. No, he, he kind of disappeared as a footballer last season. You know, in terms of what he was doing, um, you know, every week for his team, it was just nothing like the same level and he was being left out of games and he was left out of, you know, nearly the whole Champions League. You know, he, he, he was substituting the Champions League knockout stages, obviously had a couple of big moments that didn't go his way in that, in that Real Madrid game. Um, so he needs, uh, he needs to get better from that point of view. I mean, I don't think really the relationship with Guardiola looked that good. You know, we, we've, we've been through this already, you know, he, he talked about it himself after, remember after the, after the title when talking about the kind of in, sense of inhibition that he felt. And I just feel with, with Haaland there, I think he could, he'll start being a little bit more. I, th- I think it, I think it's going to be a really interesting thing to watch. Well, his, that, his expected that assist stats, which by all accounts are by his account, by his account are. I mean, by, <laughs> also according to the stats, so yeah. by, by by the, <laughs> the by the objective account, account of, of not matters. so bad. But so he to turn the expected assists into actual assists. He's got a good guy in terms of that converting like converting expected assists. But you know, I I do feel. Like it's also going to be really interesting to see what happens with them. If you've got this little uh, pair of buddies uh, who who also are two of the most exciting and unwatchable footballers in the world, and guaranteed to be, you know, 
uh, heroes to the to the supporters, right? Um, what does Pep do? <laughs> how do you how do you leave uh, Grealish out when you want to leave him out of the Champions League semi final, for example? Well, I'll tell you this: you won't be able to leave Haaland out. No. I mean, and you not that you would leave him out. Well, you know, Pep, I could see Pep uh, situations where he's like, well, you know, we just felt like we wanted to have a bit more control. You know, I mean, he does, he, he's not, he's not a striker guy. You know what I mean? It's hard to think of players who've really thrived with him as a, as a striker. Well, Sergio Aguero thrived despite constantly yeah. probably feeling like he wasn't really wanted. <laughs> it's just he's so nice. Goals. He's so nice. Yeah, no, absolutely. But, you know, I feel as though uh, there's two of them now. This, the, is that a little power base now? For just to, to listen to what Pep was saying after this game. This is, they beat Bayern one 0 They totally dominated Bayern. Uh, I'm not really sure whether Bayern are, are uh, at a great uh, point at the moment. Obviously, they lost. They've lost a major player um, to Barcelona uh, in Lewandowski. Um, but what Guardiola says, and he's being asked about Haaland. This is what he says. If the guys who come are normal people, then it's so easy to integrate with the team. The group of players in the last few years are more than exceptional. Just take a look. Maybe Kevin is the most important that we have. He's always humble and he's happy Holland is here. Holland has been really well. He looks like a really nice guy down to earth. So, uh... I don't think he's. It seems like a really nice guy, to be honest. <laughs> no, I, no, that's my question like, to Lars that time about why he seems to be very rude to the media quite a lot. <laughs> but like, he's going on about De Bruyne being humble and you know how it's so important to be normal people. And Erling Haaland is not a normal person. I mean, he's like a mm. he's like a superstar if, prodigy. He'd probably be insulted if you uh, if you <laughs> described him as such. Absolutely, like it's just you know. So I I, I feel I, I feel like it's going to be. Uh, I feel like City are are going to be such an interesting team this season, uh, for all of these reasons. There is a, there, uh, I have a fear though, Ken. I feel I I don't want to. You may be disappointed. It may just be that Erling Haaland just ends up being really good and scoring loads of goals. No, no, I've no doubt that Erling Haaland is going to score a lot of goals. But like, I I think Erling Haaland is a player who's who's always scored a lot of goals. I mean, it doesn't really matter who he plays for. What I mean is, he's not. I don't think he. You know, I don't think he necessarily needs. I think he's a guy who's necessarily going to feel indebted to Pep Guardiola for scoring a lot of goals. You know what I mean? Um, he's the kind of, yeah, it doesn't really matter to me who the manager is. You know, I just go out there and do my thing. Um, so anyway, you know, I don't want to sort of hype up non-existent problems, but just the sort of tone of what Guardiola says there and just what we know about the way that Holland is and the way that Guardiola has... I mean, this is a guy who who's based his personality on Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who remembers one of the great like arch enemies from Guardiola's career and here we are again anyway um, De Bruyne himself was saying uh, I mean I like De Bruyne when he when he talks he, he again speaks quite openly he was saying yeah it's been kind of a sad summer for me because you know some of the guys who left were like really good friends of mine you know they're going to be friends for life and you know it's going to be it's going to be tough not seeing them you know every day but you know uh, I suppose we we got to get on with it you know that's football yeah. they're, you're, they're not going to be friends for life either Kevin you're, you're already drifting apart Let's face it, you know, you probably, you'll see each other, what, two or three times a year. Forget about it. The friendship's over. You don't Just think, forget. but you mean, no. but, but friendships can, can subsist no, 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 like camels on ever no. smaller amounts I'm telling you, now, I'm telling of... you listen, Ken, I'm telling you right now, those friendships are fucked. <laughs> well, well, who who are the friendships with? I mean, if you look at... I don't at, even know. Well, if you look at the city, the, the extraordinary thing about city this, this summer is how much they've been selling. Right, so four regular members of their first team squad have left. So Fernandinho, we knew he was going to leave. I mean, he he kind of had to leave. Uh, he was at that just at the point in his career. He's gone. Sterling, a major player for them ever since he 
joined uh, has joined Chelsea. Uh, Gabriel Jesus, uh, not as major a player as Sterling, but still a guy who who you know did a lot last season. It's gone Zinchenko, Zinchenko, who inspired the the key uh, comeback against Aston Villa. Uh, has has also left for Arsenal. So Jesus and Zinchenko both gone to Arsenal. They've raised about 120 million pounds from selling these four. Well, Fernandinho wasn't wasn't a sale, but the, but the others about 120 million, and they've made another 45 million selling um, more minor players, uh, including Gavin Bazunu. I don't describe him as a minor player, but from from a Man City point of view, I mean, he didn't he well, yeah, play for the first team. The first team, that's fair. Um, you know, so they've sold quite a few sort of academy or so-called City football group players. Uh, so for so it's 165 million of sales and they've only spent um less than a hundred on Haaland who obviously had the um you know the nice release clause and Calvin Phillips so when you look at that you think well are they finished I mean they've you know certainly they're not short of spending power if they want to do something else uh you know, it wouldn't surprise you at this point that that City kind of go well. We, you know, we can we can be even stronger. Um, it is interesting to see Arsenal bringing in those players. Uh, Zinchenko, uh, I guess, can cover left back, but it'll be interesting to see if they use him more as a midfielder, which is what he wants to do. Started what, what getting in the mood do, for the new season. Kind of started reading the the Guardian network had their Arsenal preview today. You know, the way they do mm-hmm. their, their all the teams, and th- in that it, was, it seemed very clear that he's going to be a midfielder, which is what he wants to be. Yeah. And what he sees himself as and how, as we've seen, how, how he plays very well for Ukraine. And when I was reading that, I was thinking, geez, they're, they're two very good signings, really. For not mega, mega books. Uh, Jesus and, uh, and Zinchenko. Uh, Zinchenko. Yeah. Yeah, no, obviously yeah. they're they're not so me- they're not so amazing that Man City wanted to hold on to them, but but at the same time, if you're the, a team mm. as Arsenal are trying to break into the top four, those guys yeah. are seriously at the level that they can push you up from fifth to fourth. Put it that way. Well, they've never been outside the they've never been outside the top four. So yeah, I mean they they obviously know what it takes. And and um, Arteta, uh, I mean, did Arteta work much with Zinchenko? I mean, he must have been. They must have had some overlap. Uh, obviously, was there for quite a while with Jesus. So these are players that he he knows about uh, Arsenal have spent more than 100 million pounds so it's been kind of a and they've they've been winning all their preseason matches most recently beating Chelsea 4-0 <laughs> um, Jesus uh, scored Odegaard Saka and Lukonga so that's a great result I mean again I, we're talking about preseason matches but it's a bit is it too you know is it a little bit too soon to the end of the season or, or to the beginning of the season rather to be losing 4-0 to, to a rival we're talking about practice. Yeah. Well, you didn't, you didn't seem, you think, seem to think Frank Lampard overreacted to losing 4-0 to an well, MLS I mean, team. Frank Lampard lost 4-0 to, uh, to Minnesota. Um, you know, losing 4-0 to Arsenal is, is it more annoying for Chelsea? What did Chelsea, uh, Thomas Tuchel has basically done a bit of a Frank Lampard here, which I find, which I find sort of interesting, you know, in terms of his, uh, he's, he's had a big reaction to this. He says, uh, uh, we can't talk about the two teams in front of us. So people are talking about like, you know, are you, are you challenging for the title again this year? We can't talk about them. We got like absolutely beaten by a team that doesn't play Champions League next season that is behind us and seems at the moment far ahead of us. Unfortunately, it proved my point and the last week proves my point. I prefer not to be right. I did everything to prove myself wrong. But at the moment, I feel I was right. When I look at the last season and the parts of the game where we struggled, um, and he talked about basically the commitment of Arsenal, uh, the the willingness to, to, to work to exhaustion, which he didn't see from his own players, and goes on to say, 
We got sanctioned and players left us. We know some players are trying to leave us. That's where it is. We had an urgent appeal for quality players and a huge amount of quality players. We got two quality players. That's no doubt. So the players there are obviously Raheem Sterling and uh, Kaldu Koulibaly, uh, who finally was prized out of Napoli uh, by Chelsea, uh, you know, a couple of years after he was kind of the, the hottest transfer property in Europe. Um, I mean, he's... 31 now, I think, Koulibaly. So Chelsea obviously have had pretty positive experiences recently with signing older central defenders, given that Thiago Silva is still, you know, I mean, what is he? He's he's turning 38 this season, I think, uh, and still uh, still part of their first team. But, uh, so Tuchel says, we've got two quality players, that's not doubt, but we're not competitive like this, and unfortunately we could see it today. So he's he's saying it pretty openly. There's none of this, well, you know, this will we'll be in completely different shape, you know, by the time that he's like, no, we're screwed. <laughs> this is, this is going to be disaster. I could see this coming. I could see this coming last season. And, you know, if there's not going to be some big, big signings, uh, this is not going to work out. So... Phew, yeah, I mean, it's it probably not sound... exactly what the new owners want to be hearing. Right no, about now. it really, it really is not what they want to be hearing at this point. And obviously, there's been a bit of a, you know, there's been a bit of Chelsea have been have been trying to buy a lot of players and not really having much joy at the moment. They're they're trying to sign Jules Kounde from Sevilla, so this is another defender because they've got this defensive crisis. You know, having lost Rudiger to Real Madrid, uh, Christensen to Barcelona uh, on free transfers. Um, you know, the, these are they suddenly have to plug all these gaps. So Koulibaly is you know is plugging one gap. Um, uh, they they figure they need and, you know, but again, when I when you look at the age of Thiago Silva, you know, I mean, every everyone is eventually going to start getting injured. Um, this is this is a major problem for them. You know, we could sort of see it coming a mile off. Now as to whether Koundé is going to join Barcelona, like here again, we we're back to the, we're back to Barcelona. I mean, you knew that we're going to get, we're going to get there at some stage, but like, how can they, <laughs> you saw, you saw the quote from Julian Nagelsmann, I suppose when this is when, um, Oh yeah, these were, this is, it was along the lines of, it was when Lewandowski was signed and Nagelsmann <laughs> was just musing as to how they seem to have so much money to sign players when they're not supposed to have any money, apparently. They're the only club in the world that can sign players without having any money. It's amazing. I don't, I don't understand. So this is what he said. Now, um, okay, we, I mean, we've we've obviously seen this spectacular summer of Juan Laporta and his um, his uh, rebranding of the concept of, um, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Do you know the story of Les Miserables? Um, if only Fontaine, when she was selling her hair and teeth, uh, as, well, I've activated my first economic lever by selling my hair, and now I've got 32 economic levers here, um, you know, 16 in the top jaw and 16 in the, in the lower jaw. Um, so that makes 33 economic levers I can uh, pull. Uh, obviously, it's, it's going to leave me in a somewhat reduced state afterwards, but, you know, at the same time, it pays a debt. Uh, now... Uh, Barcelona, as we know, were in a bad situation, having spent their way into, spent and sort of borrowed their way in, into a uh, into a hole. Yeah. Um, so they need to do something. Uh, but what they're doing, the puzzling aspect of what they're doing here is okay. They, um, they're they're obviously selling off uh, future income from TV rights in order to get the money up front. So you know they'll be paying for that. Uh, to the you know they've got like an American uh, private equity firm that's buying twenty five percent of their La Liga TV rights, which are the, on the basis of their their most recent La Liga TV deal is going to be worth about a billion euros. Although obviously, um, 
we don't know what the La Liga TV rights are going to be in the future. They could be a lot more. You know, if they if they sort of follow the the pattern that the TV domestic TV rights have followed up to now, which is one of growth. You know, not explosive growth. You know, they haven't had like a Premier League style. Whoa, these TV rights are insane. We have more money than we know what to do with. That hasn't really happened in Spain. But, you know, the, the, the rights have been on an upward trend. Will that continue? Well, we don't know. But I suppose it's if, if it doesn't, then they'll have to pay less. Uh, you know, it's 25% of, of whatever they are. Um, and I guess if you join the Super League, then maybe this TV rights isn't going to amount to more than a hill of beans. You know what I mean? It could it could turn out to be a good deal from from that. All point right, of view. so it's it's let's take a punt here. Who okay, we need this money now? We need to, yes. well, we, well, we want this money now because we, we want, want to spend more money on players. Well, that's the so crazy let's part. take it now. And okay, this could be terrible in a number of years, but by then the whole current European football model would have been blown up anyway, and we'll be yes cashing in on the Super League. And we're going to try and blow it up. <laughs> we're, we're going to be one of the main one of the main players in there trying desperately to blow it up and replace it with something that will enable us to pay these debts. You know, that, that seems to be what Chelsea are doing. But I think on the key phrase was one that you what used. What Barca are doing, yeah, yeah. Let's take a punt, right? That's what, the, that's what this is. It is a punt. Um, and what what I'm not impressed about what, by what Barca are doing, well, there's, there's, a, there's not a lot really to, that is impressive about it. But the way in which okay, they say, well, we need to do this in order to, you know, meet La Liga's, uh, you know, otherwise our, our, our salary cap would be like minus 50 million euros or whatever, you know, and we need to do that. We need to restructure debts and yada, yada. And of course, you need to do that. But do you then need to spend huge amounts of money on players who I, I'm not convinced that they're going to massively elevate the team i just don't really now robert they've signed robert Lewandowski. Lewandowski's been like the best number nine in europe for the last five years or so right he's just an absolute machine uh he's scoring more than a goal a game in both the league and the champions league it's been a phenomenal level of performance he's 34 next month right maybe he can keep it going indefinitely Maybe, you know, they need him to keep it going for at least one year. And, you know, okay, I wouldn't be surprised. But was, you know, was that really their, was that really their issue? They've got Rafinha, um, who is one of the better forwards in the Premier League, I would say. Um, He brings availability. You know, Dembele is, is he a better player than Dembele? I'm not sure. Is he more likely to be available for any given game, any given game than Dembele? Yes, he is. Does he transform the team into a, into a, mm, again, I, I don't know. Uh, and now they're, they're, they're trying to get this guy Koundé to uh, not join Chelsea and join them and said, that'll be another 60 million. So it's kind of like, well, <laughs> you've, you've, you've borrowed like for 25 years. It's effectively like a 25 year mortgage you've taken out based against your, your uh, future TV rights, but you're spending it all up front on like some players. I mean, this was the problem. This was what happened to you in the first place. You know, this is how you got into like this debt hole was by spending huge amounts of money on players. And you should know better than anybody that simply spending a lot of money on players doesn't mean that those players are actually going to be worth the money that you've spent. You know, it's, it's not, so it's a massive, massive gamble. Uh, and what they're also doing then at the same time is this, um, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to bundle out to young now, like, okay, Frank or Frank, Juan Laporta can say, look, don't sweat it. I've been here before. I know how this works. This is exactly like it was in 2003. You know, when I took over in 2003, our debts were 150% of, of turnover. Uh, that wasn't a good situation. Yeah. And we had to activate a few economic levers then as well. And we, and we did that. And, you know, 
what 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 followed was seven years of the most incredible uh, commercial economic growth, um, and also uh, culminating in what many people considered to be the greatest football team of all time. And that was actually the second great Barcelona team that was sort of put together in the Laporta era. I mean, the team that in, in which Messi was the best player, but before then they had the team in which Ronaldinho was the best player, right? So the record is sensational, you know, in terms of his, uh, how Barcelona did when he was president last time, 2003 to 2010, incredible. Is it going to be the same this time? <sighs> you know, I was I was looking again to um, Ferran Soriano. You know, Ferran Soriano is now the CEO at City, uh, and he was, of course, uh, one of the, the one of the brains trust of Laporta at Barcelona the last time, and he wrote that sort of uh, business book. Uh, the ball doesn't go in by chance is the name of the book, and, and of course, the subtext of the title is, "You need someone like me." If the balls, and I, I, I read this book years ago and didn't think much of it. I have to say, I actually found it more interesting to read this time, or to kind of to to read. I didn't reread the whole thing. I mean, you know, there's a limit to what I can. Well, do. probably at the time you read it, it was here's this amazing success of a club, whereas now you can read it in the context of how it's fallen apart from those times. Yeah, so well, I mean, more, he wasn't there. You know, he he wasn't there when it fell apart. Like he very sensibly removed himself. Oh no, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He you talks about like visionaries, you know, there are vision, everyone needs a visionary, you know, he says, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And, you know, the good visionary is someone who sees, a, who see, who's got a vision and then achieves the vision and then sort of is like, well, there we, you know, then he doesn't immediately come up with an, I've got another vision mm. or, or, you know, I've vi- vision piling upon vision until eventually most of them end in ruin. You know, he, he takes calculated risks. He risks, sure, but he didn't like risk willy nilly because that's the way that you lose. Um, so someone like Soriano, I think, would be an example. You know, he, he had this great vision of Barcelona. They achieved the vision, and then he removed himself sensibly to Manchester City, uh, where success is somewhat easier. But look, he's earned that, right? He's earned that. He's earned that status in the game. But he talked about what they did in two thousand and three. Uh, he sort of talks through their their whole, you know, revolutionising of the club, uh, and described the options that they had. So, so in his view, or in their view, I should say, um, Soriano plus Laporta and all, all the rest of those guys, we had, to, you know, the situation wasn't good. The team was full of bad players. We hadn't won anything in a couple of years. Um, deaths were big. Growth was sluggish. Uh, they had like half the revenue of Man United at that stage. Man United was was like the shining example to the football world of this is how you run a successful football club economy. You know what I mean? They're they're the ones that we all try to emulate. So so Suriana was just trying to copy everything that United did that he could. Um, so the two options that they had was number one, uh, a prudent and sensible uh, approach. Uh, where we control costs, we walk through the desert, a period of austerity, we don't lash out loads of money on players until we stabilize our finances and get ourselves back in order. Or, number two, we spend big on players. (laughs) You know, we we invest in the team, we try to, uh, we build momentum, we set up a virtuous circle of on-field success which fuels uh, economic growth, which in turn fuels uh, on-pitch success, you know, and that's, uh, and obviously we went for number two because, you know, that's what you got to do when you're Barcelona because ultimately Barcelona is about winning the match every single week because if you don't, everybody goes insane. (laughs) You know, you can't actually, you can't have a, a period of like, retrenchment like if you do they'll, they'll just have a revolution they'll just throw you out of a window and get someone else in who will be prepared to spend big i mean he doesn't lay it out in, qu- in quite those terms i mean he he presents it as a calculated risk 
But he also, what I found interesting about it from this from nearly tw- nearly 20 years on, I mean, right, the book is 2012. He's talking about the events of 2003. Is the differences between the football market of 2003 that Barcelona were working in and what they're working with now. So there was so much stuff that Barcelona could start to do then that they just weren't doing. You know what I mean? You know the way like they 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 kind of weren't orient, oriented in any way towards the the international market back in 2003. They just they, they were all, yeah, yeah, you look back at I think even Simon Cooper's book that would become kind of obvious back then they're almost still like a provincial team you know within that's obviously a massive exaggeration but in terms of uh there, there wasn't they weren't taking advantage of the international kind of dimension but the same was said of man united for a number of years actually before well united united started. have have we're addressing that before barcelona but this is one of the things that barcelona started to do you know and, and culminating i suppose in last season's uh my god why is everyone here an eintracht frankfurt fan um, you know when they when they got knocked out of the Europa League by Andrew Frankfurt and the entire stadium was was like uh, filled with with Germans and they were like what the, what's become of us uh, <laughs> had gone too far the other way but they started to do this sort of thing and obviously um, it's become a, a huge part of their economy like the fact that they're such a their p- football fans around the world make a pilgrimage to Barcelona you know and, and they've kind of made made t- that was one thing that they started to do you know they kind of upgraded their t- their TV deals which they had more independent more control over uh you know not it not being a central tv arrangement in those days in spain you know the sponsorship they they increased their membership by about 60 percent you know what i mean so but there was lots of things that they could do that they sort of hadn't been doing which enabled them to grow fast there's nothing left now to do that there's no, there is no fast growth option mm-hmm. you know which is why they're now like Fontaine selling selling their hair and teeth, <laughs> like in order to try and uh, and stay afloat for for this season. In order to try, you know, it's, well, it's well, like unless, a, unless they don't, unless they just don't know what the next what the next quick book is or what the, what the next obvious change is. I mean, people back then maybe didn't know. Do you know what I mean? You, you NFTs did, on. You, well, NFTs. Well, NFT, well, they're doing, they're doing NFTs yeah. as well, but it doesn't really seem like it's going that well because the, the last time I checked, the Cruyff NFT was 55 grand, which still seems too much. But when I saw that they were offering it with like a five-year hospitality season ticket, I was like, hang on. You know, that's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if I had like lots of money lying around, maybe I, maybe it would be worth, uh, <laughs> maybe it would be worth buying that. But certainly I don't see how they're going to make much money based on selling that Cruyff NFT for 50 grand because according to the blurb um, there was more than 10,000 production hours invested in the production of that NFT so unless these people are working for a lot less than I would usually expect uh, creatives in the NFT space to, to agree to work for you know which is to say like half of minimum wage I don't and also the fact that there was a quote from Jordi Cruyff there saying this is great you know it, it's clear that the Cruyff family um, have been agreeable to the terms of this you know so it's not so Barcelona are even getting a Hundred percent of the proceeds. I think this NFT may end up being a money losing thing. But look, uh, they're just trying things. They're just trying things, seeing what's work. Obviously, seeing what what might work. The big money maker is the Super League, and that's what they still they're still banking on that. You know, that is it's so clear that that's kind of what their that's their strategy. Their strategy is Super League or bust. So, well, Super League or bust. Barcelona are never going to go bust, and this is this is what makes them so crazy. <laughs> like just their their absolute confidence that no matter what they do, they're always going to be bailed out by someone. You know, they're ultimately going to be bailed out by their by their members. You know what I mean? It's it's or you know, Barcelona are 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 a uh, are currently a 
sports, uh, a sports association. You know, they're 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 fan owned or fan uh, voted. You know, that's 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 what they are structurally, right? They're not they're not a a private company. You know, like you know, they're not a. And this is actually something that you see from Barcelona fans online because. Obviously, what they're doing has been criticized massively for obvious reasons. Like they're borrowing, they're, they're, they're mortgaging the future to gamble on players today. It's, it's, it's suicidal risk. You know what I mean? And, and they've been criticized a lot. But you see Barcelona fans go, well, you know, uh, well, at least we haven't owned, the, we haven't sold the club to, you know, a shake or, you know, some American billionaire. You know, at least we haven't done that. And you're like, don't give him ideas. Like, you know, you, you, you seriously think that that's not the next move you know mm. what are the four clubs in spain that are still real madrid barcelona athletic bilbao and one other club that aren't i can't remember which which the other club is at the moment but most of the other clubs actually are you know limited companies or private private companies in this sense because the, as a result of a previous economic collapse in spanish football uh, in the sort of late 90s, I think Barcelona and, and Madrid and Bilbao and the, and the other team, I can't remember, are are sort of the, the only ones that kept the old system. Right. So it sounds like this is unheard of in Spanish football. Um, look at Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich are also, you know, a, a fan-owned entity, technically. You know, it's, they, they've got the 50 plus one rule in Germany. So the fans or you know, the, the members of the sports club control the team. But they are, they're also owned. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of companies like Adidas, um, Allianz maybe, uh, Audi. Am I just naming companies that begin with A? These types of companies also own eight point, like one twelfth chunks of Bayern. Um, you know, they, they've at various points injected capital into the club and got like uh, shares in return. They've got equity in, in return. Um, not that they, they can't control the club. They can't take over the club the way that you see happening in the Premier League, but like they can invest in it and they can, they could trade those shares. They could sell those shares and, and make money off the back of it. That's something that is also, I think in Barcelona's future. So I wouldn't say Barcelona fans should get too proud of the fact that, you know, well, at least we're not owned by investors like, you know, these other clubs because you will be, there's no Nothing surer, and in fact, when you owe lots of money to uh, an American private equity firm, they in fact own you. <laughs> that's the reality. That's how debt works. You know what I mean? If you've got a debt, if you owe money to someone and you can't pay it back, well, they own you now. So uh, there's a there's a lot left in play for Barcelona. There's a lot of other things that they can sell besides their future revenue. You see that they sell and they they play now in the Spotify uh, camp now. You know, they're, they're sponsored by Spotify, but Spotify now have the naming rights of their stadium. So the club that until, what, 2003, four wouldn't even have a sponsor on their shirt now plays in the Spotify camp now and is selling off its future income in order that they can buy Rafinha and maybe Jules Koundé and is trying to get Frankie de Jong to accept. Like, the, the de Jong situation is amazing, right? And you hear conflicting reports about exactly what's going on, but most of them seem to agree that the figure owed to him is around 17 million euros. And also the Barcelona have suggested to him, look, Frankie, if you really love this club, why, why can't you do a deal with us? Which is a bit like a guy, you know, a cheating husband, like in divorce court saying, look, uh, I'm not giving you what you're asking for because I need the money to buy a speedboat to impress my new girlfriend. You know, and, and sort of expecting then that, that, the, that the, uh, the, the spurned wife is going to say, you know what, actually, I will go along with that. Like to appeal to Frankie de Jong's love of the club, after the way that he's been treated, can there be anybody who hates 
Barcelona more than Frankie de Jong. Not only are they like booting him out, like taking away his boyhood dream, they're also trying to take his money as well. I mean, come on. Like this is this is not acceptable. I mean, it's just it's just not acceptable behavior. I mean, if if Barcelona were saying, look, you know, Frankie, we haven't got it. Like we just haven't got it. Can't you see what we've sold? We've sold off all our future and we haven't got it. But when they're when they're also just spending money on other players as well, it's like, well, sorry, but this is just you know. First of all, you pay pay me what you owe me, and then you can spend whatever whatever it is you want. But like you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do a deal with you in these terms. Ah, it's good to have you back, Ken. We're gonna have a lot more now that we've taken you out of retirement. We're gonna flog you. <laughs> uh, there'll be a lot more Ken for World Service members during the week. So thanks, Kenny. Thanks, Owens. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Ken, and thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kira. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, you'll hear all episodes ad-free if you become a member on secondcaptains.com. The Second Captains podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's the persuasion of the world outside of that. That's why sports is important. If you're a Shark Tank fan or business junkie, check out the podcast Another Bite. Each week, Another Bite breaks down the biggest success stories and most disastrous failures to come out of Shark Tank. The hosts break down each company's pitch, analyze the deals that were or weren't made, and answer the million-dollar question, are they still a company? Whether you're an entrepreneur looking for tips or a Shark Tank fan that just wants to relive the drama, Another Bite's your deep dive into the world of Shark Tank. Just search for Another Bite in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're listening to right now.